Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Those are verses 18 and 19 of Psalm 72, which is the psalm appointed for today, Wednesday, May the 5th, 2021. Welcome to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm John Green, and I'm your host. I'm glad to be with you today, <clears throat> and we're still looking at the Book of Wisdom. We're in the Book of Romans again, and we're still in the Gospel of Luke during this Easter season. Continuing with uh, with uh, the Book of Wisdom, um, Solomon is summing up sort of his argument here about wisdom, and it sounds very, very much like Paul's argument in Romans 1 regarding being able to understand and look around you and see the beauty of created things, the orderliness of created things, and the perfection of created things, and then extrapolating from that that there must be a creator. And that creator, because of the goodness and the perfection of all his creation, must likewise be good and perfect. And he must also then be one other thing, and that is great. As the creator of all the things that we so appreciate, so love, so marvel at, so desire, then he himself must be desirable. And that's exactly what the argument is that Paul makes in Romans 1, is in saying that nobody has an excuse for, for avoiding knowledge of the creator because they can see him in the things that he has created and set around us. So the only thing we can really do is deny that there is a creator, and that's kind of where we are in this moment in history, is denying the creator. We're saying, nope, things came together on their own, somehow or another, miraculously. Well, we just keep pushing it back one layer, right? String theory, all that does is push it back one more level and say, okay, so there were many worlds, and this is the one that survived, and blah, 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 blah. Well, all right. So where did these come from? I mean, you've not answered the ultimate question, which is where, from whence did all things come? You're, you're just positing a different sort of uh, beginning without a beginner. And, and you keep saying there's no beginner, there's no beginner, there's no beginner, and that life somehow authored itself and brought itself into being in spite of the fact that there's not a single way to prove that the, the primordial elements could have arranged themselves in such a way as to produce much of anything. Uh, even Darwin agreed that, that there's not sufficient time unless there's a lot more time than, than we know about. There wasn't sufficient time for any of the things to organize themselves into anything looking like a living organism, much less the complexity of life, not just in human life, but in the complexity of life that we see all around us. And so that's Solomon's argument is, Surely vain are all men by nature who are ignorant of God and could not out of the good things that are seen, know him that is. Neither by considering the works did they acknowledge the workmaster. But instead, what they did was they made gods of other things, created things. And that's the reason in Genesis, um, Moses tells us that God created the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He doesn't even name them. And there's a reason he doesn't name them, because those things have been worshipped. You know, the, you get the sun god and the moon god and all that kind of stuff. You get all those things being worshipped, and it's the reason God says don't create any images. Don't worship anything that is created. Worship the one who created all those things. But it's it's people do worship one way or another, whether you're ascribing worship or whether it's the most important thing in your life. Things are worshipped 
that are far less than God. They are things of earth, things of the heavens even, uh, can be worshipped. And so his point is very simple. Um, With whose beauty, if they, being delighted, took them to be gods, let them know how much better the Lord of them is. For the first author of beauty has created them. We can know a lot about God from looking at the world around us. If we accept him as the creator, we can know that he's a creator of beauty, for one thing. We can know that he is a creator of good things. We can know that he's the creator of order. We can see all of those things from the creation. And then, but the only thing that we tend to focus on are the things that are disorderly and ugly. And those are the things that we somehow ascribe to God. And we say, okay, so the things like what happened to Will, you know, okay, right? So, so that, we're going we're to say, God, why did you allow that to happen? We're not going to accuse him of doing it, but we're going to say, why did you allow it to happen? Well, the, the, the accusation is there that you are bad. You're not a good God because this happened to me. The Bible tells us a really simple story about why bad things happen to good people. It's because bad things happen to all people. And it's not because of God, because we created a perfect world. Who introduced the problems into society and into the world? And that the answer that, that Genesis gives us is it's not God. He's good. Unlike all the other gods of other creations that you see who are capricious and insane in some ways. No, we have a good and orderly God who created a good and orderly and beautiful universe. And then we came in and made it ugly. We get that problem wrong. And and we, we blame God, whether we blame him directly or indirectly. Because there's not much difference in the attitude in some ways for most people in saying, why did this happen to me? The attitude is is one of two things, right? One is is that, that God did this to me to punish me in some way, or God allowed this to happen to me, and either way, I'm not happy about it, and I need an explanation for why that did, rather than resting in the goodness and the greatness of God and just believing that for whatever reason, this is for my good and for the good of the rest of the world. Because I have a unique perspective now. I have a different way of looking at things and thinking about things. And I walk with a limp like Jacob did because of these things that happened. And now I have something else like grace to offer to the world because now I share in the suffering of the world. I I didn't rise above it. And Jesus did exactly that. He entered into the suffering of the world and took it all upon himself. Suffered and died. And it's... Uh, the same argument that Solomon makes is the same argument that Paul made in, the, in in Romans. He says, "For by the greatness and the beauty of the creatures, of the creatures, proportionably the Maker of them is seen." So, in all things that we can see that is created, all the things that attract us, all the things that cause us to to desire, all that stuff, he says, that should actually be an opportunity for you to worship the One who created all those things. We should be able to look beyond the creation to the creator. And, and that's a great point. And, and we are so captivated by our eyes that our spirits sometimes in wisdom doesn't even get involved in these things. We are so enamored of the beauty and the goodness of the creation that we forget the creator. But how much more beautiful and how much more wonderful is he than his own creation? Because he is greater even than the sum of his own creation. And in Luke 8, in this passage today, verses 16 to 25, it, it 
covers a lot of that same ground and puts us into the same sort of argument in a, in some strange ways. And, and it's, it begins with Jesus telling another parable and speaking about that parable, but that the gospel lesson ends with a story of after he has taught this, his mother and his brothers came to him, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. And so certainly everybody there thinks, oh, well, we, they, they're celebrities. They should be brought to the front here. And Jesus is told that his mother and brothers are standing outside desiring to see him. And he says, my brothers, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. And so that was the point yesterday that had to do with wisdom. Wisdom isn't just knowing what to do, it's doing it. Once you know what the right thing is to act on the knowledge you have, that's wisdom. Wisdom is knowledge in action. And so here Jesus says, my brothers and sisters are those who hear the word of God and do it. Now he's not saying that his mother and brothers are not those who hear the word of God and do it. What he's saying is, is that, that, that the, the circle is expanded. The circle is expanded to include all those who hear the word of God and do it. So there's this, the, the way to look at life, the way to look at everything has to do with expanding the circle of those who are part of your family. Just the way that Jesus expanded the circle to include us as children of God. You hear that family reference? Father, children of God, mother and brothers. So what we need to constantly be aware of is, is that, that the, our true mother, brothers, fathers, all that, are people who are, know the will of God and do it. And we've got to be willing constantly to make room at the table for others in that. Family relationships doesn't mean that they're lessened in any shape, form, or fashion. What it means is that, that, that the circle of people we consider to be our family is expanded. One of the great gifts God's given us in the last six, seven weeks has to do with that very thing. People we don't know who love the Lord Jesus Christ are praying for us, fervently praying for us. And so it's my delight and my joy to get to know those people as we go along. And I've got to make room and time for them in my life because I love them like a mother and a brother and a sister. And so that's the way that we're to live with one another in the church. Um, it's a, a beautiful picture, but it's an even better reality. And I've known that reality in multiple ways throughout my life. God's been blessed me in giving me mothers and brothers and sisters all along the way, wherever I was, to value and to cherish and to love and to be loved by them. And that's an important thing for us to, to always be aware of, is, is that, that our duty to one another in the body of Christ transcends even familial relationships in certain kinds of instances. And so we do have that same level of duty and care and love that we owe to one another in the body of Christ because we've all been made into one people. And so then you see this, this power Jesus has. And, and it, the power that he has in this next story that we see in this gospel lesson is the authentication also of the words that he speaks. He is the lawgiver. So th what happens is, is that after this, they leave, they get into a boat, and they start to go across the lake. Jesus falls asleep, and, and then all hell breaks loose. There's a big storm, and they're scared to death. The, the boat's filling with water, and they're in danger, and they woke Jesus and said, Master, Master, we're perishing. And he could have said, that's the whole reason I'm here. You are perishing. We're all going to perish. And so I'm here 
to resolve that specific problem. But he awoke and he rebuked the wind and the waves and they ceased and there was a calm. And he said to them, where's your faith? How do you even answer that question after you see that demonstration of power from Jesus? How do you even respond to where's your faith? Well, that's the reason we woke you up. (laughs) We thought maybe you could do something about that. Where's my faith? It never occurred to me that I could speak to the wind and do this, and it didn't occur to them either. It says they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water and they obey him? Indeed, who is that? Who is the one who can command the winds and the water and they obey? I mean, there's only one ever, and that's God himself. And so they see this thing, and now what do you do with that? Right? It authenticates everything he says. The fact that he can command the wind and the waves and the water to obey him, and they do, is then one to be obeyed in all things. It's The problem is us. The problem is not the, the quote, inanimate things of earth. They obeyed him. The problem is people, the ones creating the image of God, who don't obey him. It, it's a, a frightening little thing to see that and to know that about who Jesus is because he's not just this uh, sort of um, milk toast character who comes on the scene and then offers his life as a sacrifice and no he's he, he's God incarnate who comes in power to do these things he still has the power to do that the greatest act of love and the greatest act of power you'll ever see in your life is that that same man dying willingly on the cross while they're screaming with him, he saved others, save himself. Come down from that cross if you are who you say you are. He can't. If he's going to persevere and do and complete the work that he's been given to do, the great act of love and self-sacrifice is denying himself the right to use the power that he has to come down from that cross and wreak vengeance and judgment on the world. No, he so loved the world that he persevered even through that when he didn't have to. He had an option to come down from that cross, unlike the other two that were on the crosses next to him. Jesus could have come down from that cross. It would have proven something, but it would have proven something that would have been of no benefit. Because that knowledge wouldn't have been saving knowledge. It would have been judgment. So the love and the power of Jesus is no more fully and clearly displayed than it is on the cross when he says, I will not use that power because of love that's power that is absolute power to deny yourself in that way and Paul then puts us into a place where where we don't like we don't like the words that he speaks let everyone be subject to the governing authorities I, I was okay when you were asking me to observe the Creator because of the creation but now Paul is, is making that same argument with respect to ruling authorities. And they didn't live in a benign dictatorship in all things, in all the places that Paul was speaking. In Rome, for instance, at that time, there was wicked men who were Caesars. He says, but there's no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Like I said, I like the argument that I'm supposed to see the creator based on the creation. I dislike that same argument when it's logically applied this way. 
when it's logically applied to men I don't like and women I don't like who are in positions of authority, when they're wicked, when they're doing evil things, Paul doesn't say make a distinction there. He just says all authority is instituted by God. And therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Yuck. I want to resist evil and bad rulers, but Paul says, no, that's not the right way to go with this. He says, we, uh, rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what's good, and you'll receive his approval. For if he's God's, he's God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid. For he doesn't bear the sword in vain. He's the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, you have to be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. And then he tells you to do all the things that you're required to do by the civil rulers over you. I don't like that. I can't deny it, but I just don't like it, right? I mean, that's the way we can feel about a whole lot of different things. And so Paul is then, he, he moves from that in a, in a no transition at all to owe no one anything except to love one another for the love, one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And then he says all the commandments like don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't covet, and any other commandment are summed up with this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And love does no wrong to a labor, therefore love to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And then he's saying, hey, we're getting closer to the end than we were when you first heard this stuff and when you first believed. You need to walk the right way. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, sexual immorality and sensuality, but in not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision from the flesh to gratify its desires. Remember what he did. He subjected himself to all things, even rulers on earth. We're called to recognize God in all things, whether we like those things or we don't like those things, whether those things build us up or, or hurt us. We're called to recognize Him in all things and give thanks for Him in all things. It's not always easy, but it's always right.